2: Still gives me chills, folks. Still gives me chills. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Pod is War Special Edition. I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt, as always joined by the commissioner himself, PC Tunney. And we are breaking down the 10-part docuseries known as The Last Dance, chronicling the Chicago Bulls' last championship season in the 97-98 year and this week we're going to be focusing on episodes 3 and 4. But before we get to that, more importantly, as an individual, as a person, and as a human, Mr. Tunney, how are you?
3: Oh, I'm I'm quite pleasant. I'm I'm thrilled to be talking about the 97-98 Chicago Bulls and this phenomenal series that's been put on by ESPN. Couldn't ask for more right there. <clears throat> I've been thoroughly intrigued all 4 hours. It's excellent. The funny thing I'll say is I the the first The first two episodes I got to record when they debuted at eight or nine and ten Eastern, you could say, and I watched them in the morning and then I kind of did the same thing, but I couldn't record them the first time. So I recorded the replay on ESPN two. And I ended up waking up at like midnight and watching that till two in the morning and. I recorded the non swearing one, so everything was beeped out.
2: (laughs) Oh, that sucks. So there was a lot of f bombs being, yeah.
3: I I, I mean, I got the picture, but I'll try not to, uh, you know, record the kitty version next time. But you know, long answer, (laughs) long answer, short. Thrilled to be here, feeling good, uh, really enjoying this uh, series, watching it and discussing it.
2: I agree. I agree. Now, I will admit that I I think I enjoyed episodes uh, one and two better than three and four. Not to say I wasn't thoroughly entertained with three and four. I just thought one and two were a little better done. The time jumps kind of got to me a little bit in these later episodes. It's just a lot of a lot of moving. You know what I mean? It's just a it's a it's a weird setup. But I guess maybe they do that to try to keep people interested and on their toes. I, I don't know.
3: It is interesting because you think they could have done it in chronological order the whole way through, right, and just kind of done a little bit here, a little bit there about everybody, but I don't know, I I kind of like it, I kind of like how they kind of choose a focal point, and, you know, Jordan's always the center of it because everybody had a relationship with Michael Jordan, and you could see that as he went along in the years with the Bulls and how he focused more on the team, and we'll get to that kind of stuff, but... Yeah, I actually really liked episode four the best right now, but, you know, it was fun. As we progress into the main storyline of them moving along as the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you become more familiar, right? Like, we knew the mid-80s and late-80s, but now we're getting into 90, 91, and, like, I remember where I was watching it, you know, and things of that nature, and I'm sure you do, too. And we're going to get into the mid and late-90s, and we're definitely going to remember. We're going to be teenagers then, so... Yeah, man, it's just—it's only getting better.
2: Uh, we'll see. You know, I'm—I'm I'm starting to have—I um, don't want to say doubts, but I wonder if they there's enough storyline material there for ten parts, because you know Netflix is famous for that. They'll have an eight part docu series when they could have wrapped this shit up in four or five. But we'll see.
3: Well, before we get into it, let's let's kind of prognosticate that because next week it looks like you're talking about Jordan as a global icon, and that kind of blowing way up. And I'm guessing they'll go over titles two and three. And they also look to talk about the dream team. So that's going to fill up five and six. A large majority of seven and eight has to be about the time when Jordan was gone.
2: You got a point. Um, what I've heard from people that have seen the whole thing is that seven, episode seven, that, that's the one. So I, I don't know what it's about, but people are saying that that's the, the best. I've heard from people that have seen it, that that's the best episode out of them all.
3: It's got to be Jordan leaving to go play baseball, and they cover that, and the one where Scottie Pippen refused to go into the game, right? Isn't that one of those playoff games?
2: Yeah, it was. It was, um, yeah, the year he was retired versus the Knicks, I believe. That's some juicy And sh- ends up hitting the game winner.
3: Yep, that's some juicy shit. I think that could be it right there. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't looked <laughs> at any spoilers, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm speaking, you know, a complete periphery, because it is out there. if you want to search out seek out, search out search, i can't even talk if you want to seek out the entire series, you can do that. It is out there online, but I'm not going to do it. I want to watch it together like everybody as a family and get my real time reactions of what I'm seeing
3: and there are rumors of uh more of our compadres joining the show next week, so you may not just have to listen to Mr. Platt and myself, even though i I quite enjoy listening to us.
2: I do, too. I love hearing myself talk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's someone else who loves to hear you
2: talk, I bet.
0: TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.
2: Depends Let's, on when you ask her. Depends on
3: <laughs> how much is she had to drink. How good have you been?
2: <laughs> <laughs> She didn't seem too thrilled to hear me talk today, so there's that. Uh She had a case of the Mondays, you know.
3: What, did you go up to her, like Orange Cassidy again, or what?
2: I actually did, yes. That didn't really get over well. Yeah. Almost got punched in the uh, chest again. All
3: right, let's get into it. Dennis Rodman, kick us off, Mr. Platt. I mean, this guy had one hell of a childhood and interesting story on his way to just getting to college.
2: Yeah, just getting to get into college. I mean, the man was homeless, and some random ass family just took him in and clothed him and fed him. And next thing you know, he ends up at college. And his uh, his path is very similar to Pippen's, where he was wasn't the biggest kid in the world, and then all of a sudden, in his what early teens, early twenties, he hits this growth spurt. Next thing you know, he's at college and he's just getting it done. Gets drafted by the Detroit Pistons, very integral part to that particular franchise. And one of the most interesting things I saw was uh, David Aldridge talked about in his 30 years of the league, in the league and covering the league, that Dennis Rodman was the best on ball defender that he had ever seen. And I think that Dennis kind of I don't think people realize how good at basketball Dennis Rodman really was. I was very surprised and pleasantly so that he was inducted the hall of fame because i know him and david stern didn't really have the best relationship so i thought he might be one of those guys that kind of gets blackballed and erased from history but i'm I'm glad that he got his flowers and i'm glad he got the, his flowers this episode honestly i wish there would have been a little more dennis which is weird because he's this fascinating figure but he's not necessarily the best interview subject like I, i've heard him do different interviews from time to time and he doesn't He doesn't come across as very engaging. He's not the best storyteller in the world, but him as a whole is just really fascinating. You can't
3: help but watch when they show clips of Dennis doing whatever, whether he is on the sideline pedaling his bike and telling off reporters or whether he is, you know, causing a ruckus in Vegas or he's on Roy Firestone or whatever he's doing, you know, and i remember vividly watching him play with the pistons and it was just like wow this guy he he was maybe 67 right and he was maybe 215 and he was the best rebounder in the history of professional basketball period the guy led the in rebounding seven straight seasons right he averaged what 17 18 rebounds one year he said yeah. if i was he said if i was shack If I was Shaq's size, I could breathe and average 15 rebounds. That's the kind of opinion he had on that. Like, this guy had a motor like none other. And you know what? You've talked about this before. In college, what did he – he averaged 27 and 14?
2: Yeah, he was a beast in college, so he wasn't just a rebounder. He kind of settled into that role, especially during the second part of his career and his stint with the Bulls, but – I mean every now and again he'd mess around and you know break out a three pointer and just you know start shooting threes or something like that or in that traveled offense he'd be dropping dimes at the top of the key to you know different players and stuff like that like he was a well rounded player he was just that guy that he did what had to be do what he had to do and you talk about his motor he was also a freak athlete i mean this guy he could go on under and come back like and it- and didn't miss a beat which that was, that was a fascinating tidbit. I never heard that story about his bender in Vegas and Michael Jordan had to go fly Vegas to get his ass back to the team. I, 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 I vaguely remember him taking some time off, but just hearing the whole story and everybody talk about the story, I thought that was fascinating.
3: You didn't hear as much about those things back in the day. If that shit was going down now, you would hear and know every fucking thing. There'd be a TMZ person sitting outside his hotel room knowing every step he made. Back then, they didn't really talk about a lot of that stuff. There wasn't as quick... To judge, there wasn't really social media yet and things of that nature. You really didn't even barely text people back in the late 90s, right? I mean, I don't remember being in high school and texting anybody, do you?
2: No. Hell, I didn't get my first cell phone till a senior in high school, which was 1999. And I got it at the little Arab spot that sold the fried chicken and the JoJo's. <laughs> I bought the phone, I think, for like 60 bucks, and then you pay another 40 bucks, and you get 90 minutes on the phone. So I would have the phone, and I would call girls so I could whip out my phone and shit and talk to people just to impress them. And then two minutes into the conversation, yeah, let, let me call you back. I'm making a quick run.
3: She's <laughs> writing it down on his hand. He's got a – what are you writing on your hand? Nothing. <laughs> 77, cross that out. We're down to 74 No, I think I went over. Yeah, it was 73. Yeah.
2: <laughs> But you know what it reminded me of? I remember in the 2000s where uh, Ron Artest, a.k.a. Metta World Peace, he actually went to the Pacers management and asked for a little bit of time off so he could finish working on his rap album. That made me uh, for some reason that reminded me of that. And the weird thing was how cool Phil was with it. It's like, okay, yeah. And, you know, they, they, they touch on this a little bit in the documentary, how. I almost think as if Phil saw Dennis as somewhat of a kindred spirit. He was just a, a different kind of dude, and he, he understood that he had to deal with him differently than he would have dealt with the average player. So if Dennis says he needs to blow off some steam, you got to let Dennis go blow off some steam. And if you need to bring him back, you know, Michael Jordan will show up. having Carmen Electra hopping behind couches and shit, but he's going to get his ass back to practice. <laughs>
3: Man, I tell you what, and the best part about that was watching Rodman and Pippen and Phil Jackson listen to Michael Jordan talk about it. Right? They handed dude, all dude. of them the phone. All three of them. They handed the phone here. This is what Michael had to say about this. And Mike's just going, "You need a vacation? Hey, Phil. If anyone needs a motherfucking vacation, it's me, man. He needs a. He needs a vacation. Well." Well, Dennis, can you can you have a this is Phil? Dennis, can you have a vacation in 48 hours? And Michael's Well, shit, he's gonna take whatever he can get. So yeah, you let that dude go to Vegas, you ain't getting him back in 48 hours, and sure as shit, it was almost fucking 72, what, 81, 80, 86 hours?
2: And the craziest part to me, again, is Michael getting his ass on a plane to go to Vegas and pull this out. And then they got shows,
3: go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't want to no, forget this. I don't want to forget this. And then they got footage of Dennis back at practice the first day with his fucking PJ pants on, and Phil is giving him a hard time. <laughs> and Mike goes, "Dennis just got it pulled out of bed. Let's just be happy he's at practice today."
2: Yeah, that's a good one too. Yes, be happy he's here. And then he proceeded to outrun everybody in practice, mm. which goes to the fact he's just a he. This dude is just a freak ass athlete. He's a freak of nature.
3: Let me tell the story about the drill. So. Phil's trying to get Dennis back into shape now. And so they're playing this game where you you pick a guy who's at the end of the line and he has to catch up to the front of the line. And then everybody else has to pass him until it's over, right? So Dennis is at the back of the line and he takes off. And now he's in front of everybody, right? And it took him like six laps to catch him. And Jordan had everybody else that was in the front of the line jogging. So it's going to be real easy because he and I have no part of it. But there goes Dennis, and just like he always did, once he was there to practice and that switch turned on, he, he he was full steam ahead.
2: And I'm I'm glad Jordan touched on that about how important Dennis was to those teams. That was another good moment where uh, Jordan recalled a time early in the season. Again, remember Pippen's out; he's nursing his injury and he's pouting a little bit, you know, uh, asking for a trade and whatnot. So there was no guarantee that Pippen was going to come back that season. And there was a game, I don't remember where they were. Maybe it was Utah. It, it it doesn't really matter. But Dennis ends up getting ejected. And Mike talks about how, yeah, Dennis knew he fucked up. And he comes to my hotel room that evening and he asked if I had an extra cigar, which that was which they both understood what that meant. That was his way of apologizing and letting him know, hey man, that shit's not gonna happen again. I'm gonna be here for you. And he stepped his game up in the absence of Pippen so you know Jordan going out to Vegas to get him number one that shows you how important he was to the team and NJ knew that plus it's Michael Jordan so you know good damn well I don't care if you're in bed with Carmen Electra, Holly Berry and Jesus Christ simultaneously when Michael Jeffrey Jordan knocks on that goddamn hotel room door guess what your ass is getting on that flight and Jordan knew that as well (laughs) amen
3: can't argue with that (laughs) MJ comes a knocking you're moving your ass
2: Yeah, it's happening. You're getting on that plane with me.
3: You know, before we kind of move on to Rodman and Phil Jackson's relationship, I know you started to touch on it a little bit. Dennis Rodman, I mean, think about that, folks. Just think about this. Take away all the bullshit, okay? This guy was literally one of the three-headed monster on two of the greatest teams ever because you know in Detroit that they had those – I won't say thugs. You know in Detroit they had those rugged guys on the front line, okay?
2: None of them was might Hall as Well, of just f- say thugs, sir.
3: None of them was Hall of Famers, though. Sally Lambier, Edwards, uh who else was down there? Am I missing down there?
2: Uh, uh Rick Mahorn. Mahorn,
3: thank you. I I could see his face.
2: Which Mahorn had great,
3: uh, great great advice to to uh all of his teammates back in the day that were younger than him. Don't don't waste a foul. If you're going to hit him, hit him. Right? Cuz they they didn't they didn't call a lot of fouls like that back then or technicals. They just you got fouled, that's it. You know, you came in the lane, you got your ass beat and we're going to get to that soon. But Yes. Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars and Dennis Rodman were the three most important people on a team that went back-to-back while the Lakers, Bulls and Celtics were still extremely viable. Correct? Correct. And Dennis Rodman Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen obviously were the three most important people on what is considered probably the three greatest years of one single team in the history of NBA basketball because I would take that team from that second trilogy for the Bulls at, up against anybody.
2: Yeah, especially that first year was was it the first year where they won 72? It was the, f- the first year of the second three threepeat.
3: Yeah, one of the it was the first or second, I'm not sure, I can't remember.
2: I think it was the first, because I know I remember those last two years, especially that last year, which they're covering now. They were kind of running on fumes at that particular point in time.
3: Well, you figure Jordan was 35. You know, Pippen was 33. Dennis was probably 33, 34. So, you know, your three best players are in their mid-30s. You think about that, you know. But kudos to them. They they stayed in shape, just kind of like Kobe and LeBron and Garnett and guys of that nature. Wade.
2: And it was a different era back then as well. Like, we didn't know back then what we know now, you know, in terms of conditioning and how important rest is and and diet and things of that nature. Like, these guys today, they take much better care of themselves than they did back then. So, 35 back then was probably, like, 40.
3: Yeah, they had the— you know what I mean? They had the dietary and weight training things, but they didn't have the recovery methods that they have now, right? The things that the guy, I mean, their recovery method was to sit in a tub of ice. They didn't have the hyperbaric chambers and the things of that nature and, you know, the different supplemental things that these guys do. So let's get into Phil Jackson. Talk about supplementing your mind, right? The guy brings in Zen Buddhism and Native American focus uh, techniques to sharpen his team and bring them together and and he brings them around and you can see him stretching in the circle and you brought it up before how dennis and phil were kind of the same and and they kind of flashback on phil right and this guy he was where where did he grow up again california is that right
2: uh, was it california i think it was like north or south dakota if i'm not well, mistaken it was one he, of, he i think up, it was one of the dakotas he went ended up going to north dakota is that where he was from I think he's from there. Keep talking. I'm gonna look it up while you're talking.
3: All right, my bad, folks. I, I've been trying. We've been really on top of a lot of these stats here, but this one, I, it skips my mind. So he ends up going there. Gets drafted by the Knicks. The guy wins two titles, and they showed it the way that he was a lot like Rodman. He was tall and lanky. He did dirty work. He threw his elbows around. He could he could pick your pocket and take it the distance. Right? He was a good passer. He was very cerebral. And then they talk about a time he dropped acid, and they show him in this taxi just running around town (laughs) with this big mustache and hair and this big, bleepy guy that was just, he was really cool looking, though. So, And he was just laid back, and he knew that if he could get people on the same page as him, he'd be going somewhere. I know he ended up coaching the CBA, and he won a title there. Then from there, he eventually ended up, in his second time interviewing with the Bulls, he ended up becoming an assistant coach with Doug So it was Albeck who was Jordan's first coach, if I'm getting correct, Stan Albeck. Then Doug Collins took over. Doug Collins was there for three seasons. In those three seasons, Jordan was the MVP, the All-Star Game MVP, won the dunk contest. But Doug Collins' philosophy was more centered around Michael Jordan and not the team. And Tex Winners, right?
2: Yes, the architect of the triangle. Yes, Tex Winters.
3: He was a coach, assistant coach for the Bulls, and a, and a Jerry Krause guy, and he was trying to tell Doug Collins he needs to implement the triangle, and Collins wouldn't have any of it, so much so that at some point he had winners just taking notes and not saying anything to him. Well, Krause didn't like this, and he kind of tipped Phil as an assistant to get with Tex winners and learn the triangle. So eventually, after they got swept, Phil takes over, institutes the triangle, and he just institutes this different way of coaching these people. Jordan wasn't happy at first.
2: So first and foremost, just to clarify, Phil was actually born in Montana, but yeah, he grew up in North Dakota and even went to college in North Dakota. So just, yes. just throwing that out there. Um, the thing about Doug Collins is, Doug Collins, he's not a bad coach. Anywhere that he's ever been, he has won, and he's gotten his team to the playoffs. And he, wasn't a, he was actually a pretty good player as well. But the knock on him is that he's going to wear you out. He's, he's going to ride you till the wheels fall off. And he talked about that a little bit in this documentary, how, you know, his last year there, Jordan won, what was it, MVP, all-star MVP, um, uh, defensive player of the year, led the league in scoring. That's kind of the knock on Phil. You know, last week we, we talked a little bit about Grant Hill and how good Grant Hill was. Well, his, early in his career, Doug Collins was Grant Hill's coach, and he literally had Grant Hill doing everything for that team and that's one of the reasons why he kind of wore down and, and ultimately broke down so that's always kind of been the knock on deb collins like he's going to ride you till the wheels fall off and then ride you some more so he kind of wears his players out phil is a fascinating dude man um I'm, I'm sure you've played this game before where you ask people if they could sit down with any three people real or fictitious dead or alive and have dinner who would the three be phil has always been in my top three I just find him such a fascinating character. He's, he's very intelligent. He's very in tune with players and knowing how to motivate players, especially athletes, because you know how egocentric athletes can be.
3: Who are your three? I got my three. They, they be... change. They I'll change, my... they change give... all the time, man. Go for I'll it. Give you, I'll give you my three, and you think about what your three would be right now, okay? Okay. Go for it. Mike.
2: Tiger. And Gordon Ramsay. Because Gordon can cook. Okay, oh. <laughs> Touche. I would go um, just off the top of my head. I would go uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah. There you go. The Dalai Lama, because that dude is fascinating, and Phil Jackson is along those lines as well.
3: There you go. Not bad. Yeah. Maybe maybe our Not tables bad. are a, a maybe our tables are adjacent. And we get all six.
2: Even better. Let's uh, book it, Reg. Book it. <laughs> and speaking of use your head, first off, go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shop. Pick an official chair shot teacher. We've got something for everybody, for the wrestling fan in your life, even if it happens to be you. Again, that's ProWrestlingTees forward slash the shop. Please and thank you. Thank you and please. But speaking of using your head, Phil Jackson was a master, not only at using his head, but in yours. And something that they didn't really touch on here is he could be a little manipulative. He was a master manipulator. He knew how to get people to bend to his will. He he knew how to run that Jedi mind trick on people in order to get his way. And he he knew what he was doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they did. There was a brief, I think, one time manipulative came up or manipulate. He said, so I think someone said he knew. I think it was uh, Sam Smith, the writer for Chicago. I think he said Phil knew how to manipulate his players in a good way. Right.
2: No. Now, it, it's funny that you bring up Sam Smith. Sam Smith is also the author of a infamous book that came out in the 90s called The Jordan Rules. And in that book, um, Jerry Krause and Jordan, they don't necessarily come off very well in, in that in that piece of literature. And Phil Jackson blamed, I can't remember the guy who he blamed. I think it was one of his assistant coaches said that he was the leak and he was the person that gave the information to uh, Sam Smith to write the book. Well, lo and behold, and again, they didn't touch about this in the documentary, little ancillary piece of knowledge. Lo and behold, it came out one day when Sam Smith was having a conversation with Jerry Reins that it was Phil the entire time. That was feeding Sam Smith all this information in regards to Jerry Krause and Michael Jordan. And if you've ever read the Jordan rules, that neither, neither one of those guys comes off very well. So that's what I mean about you know his manipulation. And I believe the guy who we're referring to actually got fired from the organization because Philly convinced everybody that he was the leak. Johnny Bach, I think that was his name. Johnny Bach, he was one of the assistant coaches. But this whole time, it was Phil that was feeding him the information, which that really shouldn't come as a surprise, because if you read Phil's book regarding his time with uh, the Lakers, the the first time when Shaq and Kobe was still there, he eviscerated Kobe in that book as well. So it's not like it's outside of of him. He Phil could be a little a messy queen from time to time, but he's a master at at, at manipulating. He's a master at getting people to come together and. Yeah, he's our—he's one of the greatest coaches in the history of sports. It doesn't matter if it's football, basketball, or whatever. Like, I'm, Obviously, none of us are perfect, but I, I feel like that's something that they could, if they wanted to, touch on a little bit more.
3: How many titles? Uh, okay, so Russell won. Russell won. Russell
2: won. Was, it, was it 11?
3: 11, but as a It was co- 10 or
2: 11. How many yeah. did
3: you get as a coach, though? Did you get one more as a coach? <sighs>
2: I think he might have got two or three because at the time he was a player's coach. He was playing still, but he was also the head coach.
3: Because Phil has thirteen rings.
2: Yeah, and we're not even counting his time in the CBA or Puerto Rico.
3: Right, right. I mean, but like he has thirteen NBA championship rings: two as a player and eleven as a head coach. And if Russell has eleven as a player, which sounds right, and and less than and only one as a coach, then. That Phil's got the most rings ever for a player or coach combined, right? That's crazy. I mean, that guy is so important to the NBA. <clears throat> Any last thoughts on Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman? Uh, because we're gonna we're gonna kind of get into the other big meat and potatoes of what was happening here in this episode and and the progression of the Chicago Bulls.
2: Dennis Rodman is just a fascinating figure. And I I read his autobiography when it came out. I think I was in either seventh or eighth grade when bad as I want to be. It was a fascinating book. And the weird thing about Dennis is you see all these antics and everything. He's really an introverted person. He's really very quiet and kind of shy and to himself and unsure of himself. So you see all this, you know, peacocking that he's doing with the hair and all. And dressing up in the in the wedding dress and whatnot, they kind of talked about that a little bit. A lot of that came from Madonna's influence. She kind of taught him how to, uh, I don't want to say market himself, but to a you know to a certain extent, how to market himself and, and be memorable. And yeah, he's just a, a fascinating guy. And Bill Jackson is uh, so I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they touched on Rodman. I I, I wanted a little more Rodman out of episode three. But I mean, it is what it is, man. And it's not the Rodman documentary. This is basically all about Jordan. So you know, whatever. But I I enjoyed the the, the story about the hotel room. I'll go back to that. With he's sitting up there, butt naked, with Kermit, a lecturer, and she dives behind the couch because she don't want Jordan to see her doing. God knows what they were doing. Can you? What else was in that room? Like for real? What else could possibly be in that room?
3: <laughs> Didn't Mike say I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say who or what yes. was where? But I just pulled Dennis <laughs> out and got back to practice. Is that what he said?
2: Yeah, I I can imagine a couple of ducks in there, maybe a donkey, a little person, maybe some trans people. I mean, there ain't ain't no telling what was in that room, man. (laughs) Oh, boy.
3: Speaking of bad boys, let's make the transition and talk about the final hurdle that Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls initially had to clear to get to a world championship. Because... We all know they were never taken to a game 7 in the finals. But they sure had a problem getting to those finals. Whether it was Boston, I believe they might have got knocked out by They might have got knocked out by another team as well before getting knocked out by Detroit. What was it? 3 years in a row
2: before finally beating them? I know it was 2. I don't know about the 3, but I know for a fact it was 2. It might have been three, 87, 88, and 89, now that I think about it.
3: No, I'm pretty sure it was, because when I watched Get Up this morning,
0: <laughs>
3: and they had Isaiah Thomas on Get Up, and I'll get to that later, his post-comments after hearing Jordan's comments about him. We're going to get to that. There was a trivia question, and it was, the, the Bulls lost three consecutive years in a row and then finally beat them the fourth year. When's the last time that happened?
2: Huh? When's the last time that happened? When's um, the last
3: time a team lost three years in a row to the same team, and then the fourth year they beat them in the playoffs?
2: I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, ah, that's a good question, man. I don't have the answer. I I, I guess I'm gonna say start, maybe it was those. Wait, uh,
3: wait, wait. Start. Start from. Start from where we just began.
2: Was it the Celtics and the Pistons? Is that what you're saying?
3: No. So the Bulls lost three times in a row, and then they beat the Pistons. Oh, the Knicks. Yep. There the you Bulls go. The I, knew yeah, yeah. I knew you'd get it. Yeah. Yep.
0: Because <laughs> the
3: Bulls had eliminated the Knicks, and then Jordan retired, and the Knicks won. That was from uh, the guy. The guy. The one of the producers from Get Up. They call him Sneaky Hembo because he likes to throw them sneaky trivia questions in there. So I highly recommend Get Up. Folks, if you're able to watch a little bit of television before you go to work, or whatever, it's on from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern. Mike Greenberg and a you know caveat of of prime players over there. I love I love them all. Orlovsky, Swagoo, Jay Williams is on there. They've had Jalen Rose up on there. A whole bunch of great characters. Rex Ryan's on there. So they 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 flip the guys in and out.
2: The beautiful Maria Taylor is on there every now and mm, again.
3: There are there are plenty of sneaky snacks on there. I'll just say that.
2: <laughs> Pop, touche, <laughs> touche. Yeah, it's 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 not a bad show. If yeah, if you get a chance to watch it, check it out. And there's nothing else on television, so there's that too.
3: True that. Let's go to the Pistons. Let's talk about them bad boys. What do you remember growing up just from them, not even up against the Bulls, but just as a team in general and how they progressed and ended up winning back-to-back NBA titles?
2: Oh, man, they were my first team. As we talked about last week, Isaiah Thomas is, to this day, still my favorite basketball player of all time. And it probably has a lot to do with me coming up in my formative years and when I really first started Watching and paying attention to basketball, it was right in the middle of the Pistons dynasty. I think they had just won the title. Uh, I I think I caught them right as they were winning the title versus the Lakers when they swept the Lakers in the uh, 1990 finals. They went to the finals three consecutive years. They probably should have won that first one that year and done the back-to-back-to-back, but whatever. It didn't work out. Um, Isaiah got hurt in Game 6, really famous uh, NBA game. And then they come back and they beat Lakers and they beat the Trailblazers in the subsequent years. A really underrated team. And the funny thing about the Pistons is that they feel like they have that chip on their shoulder. You know, when you talk about the, the heyday of the NBA, the, you know, the, the mid-80s to the early 90s, they feel left out of the conversation. And quite frankly, they're justified in feeling how they feel. They were a little ahead of their time. I mean, they, you know, they, they had the big bruising guys down low that you talked about before the Lambeers, the Rick Mahorns, the Spider Sallies, James Edwards, uh, Dennis Rodman. But they could also mix it up a little bit. You know, they could play big because they had all those highly skilled big men, but they could also play small ball. And there would be times where they'd be on the court guard lineup with Isaiah Dumars and um, the microwave Vinny Johnson out there. So they, they were very versatile and you, you know, people, you know, they just remember the, the thug ball and how you go ahead. I would just, I just
3: wanted to comment real quick. I know you're on a nice roll there, but like you talk about a team that could play small ball from the late eighties, early nineties there. Think about that. You just said it, Isaiah, Vinny Johnson, Joe Dumars, Dennis Rodman, John Sally, that team runs the court as well as any team in
2: the NBA right now. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no question. As far as in, and you know, with the exception of Seth Curry and Clay Thompson, that still might be the greatest backcourt of all time. And yeah, they could do it all. They could play small ball. They could slow it down if they needed to. They could match up with you big. They could run up and down the court. They could slow it down and take the air out the ball. Like they were a very versatile team and everybody played well and everybody, they knew their role and they were a well-oiled machine and, Again, my man Isaiah Thomas, only guy to beat Bird, Magic, and Jordan in the playoffs, all in their prime. And I think that he should be in that conversation. When you talk about Bird, Magic, and Jordan, Isaiah should be right there with him. You know, there's other reasons why he's not, sure. I'm sure we're going to get to that here momentarily. But that team, they feel disrespected and they feel slighted, and I feel them. They had a really good run, three consecutive finals. They, they, they had some really memorable moments.
3: First off, I think we should save Isaiah's place in history for next week because I think when we hit the Dream Team, we're going to have a very nice discussion on that. Uh, secondly, oh, secondly, um, you said underrated, right? And I agree 100% considering how they were bookended, right? Like, think about how they were bookended. On one side is Lakers and Celtics, right? And on the other side, not only is the Bulls, but it's the Rockets too. You forget the Rockets won back-to-back titles in there. Think about how dominant these – it was one team all the time. It was it was Lakers and Celtics for almost 10 years, then the Pistons for two years, then the Bulls for three years, then the Rockets for two years, then the Bulls for three years. Think about that. Think about how it was the same five teams for 20 years. Well, that's what pisses me throw off one, when people throw, talk about – Throw one to Philly and throw one to
2: San Antonio. That's what pisses me off about when people talk today about how the it, there, it, there's only you know a certain number of teams that are going to win the title and it's boring. You're you don't know what you're talking about because any given year in the NBA at most. There might be a little weird year in there where there might be like five or six legitimate title contenders. But for the most part, man, there's only like three to four teams every single season that have a legitimate shot to win the finals. So that's not new. That hasn't changed in, you know, the new NBA landscape. So just that just lets me know you have no idea of what you talk. When
3: you said underrated, the the two things I wanted to say most though about Detroit being underrated is Joe Dumars is one of the most underrated shooting guards of all time. And I know along with Ron Harper, Joe Dumars is one of the people that Jordan said played the best defense against him. And Chuck Daly is a coach. You talk about how Phil Jackson related the players and dealt with egos and made sure that everybody was there for each other. Chuck Daly did that, and he did a hell of a job with those Pistons.
2: He did. R.I.P. to Chuck Daly. He is underrated as well. And Dennis talks about Chuck Daly in his autobiography as well about how Chuck was basically a father figure to it coming up because he was a you know he was a young kid he didn't really know anything he was a little naive when he first got into the league so you know he had to lean on people that had his best interests in mind like I've heard stories of Dennis Rodman just picking up homeless people and taking them home you know what I mean (laughs) Cleaning them up and feed them and let them stay at his house like that's the type of guy he is you know because he was that. that encapsulates yeah but that perfectly encapsulates who Dennis Rodman is at his core he's a good guy he's a really good dude Little impulsive, perhaps a little naive, but if you know him, you love him. I think that just per- perfectly encapsulates who Dennis Rodman was, and he fit in well on these Pistons teams because Isaiah took a liking to him because he was so quiet and humble. And John Sally talks about that, which that's another disappointment. I wish they would have had a little more John Sally in, in the uh, the documentary last night because he's just he's very interesting. He's a very interesting interview, and he's been there for so much. What was the but f- he story? talks about how. What was a sports oh, show the back best damn in the sports show? Yeah,
3: Chris Myers and yeah. Tom Arnold, John Sally. Who was the yeah, fourth guy? Yeah,
2: John Sally. There was a fourth oh, guy. Oh shit, I can't remember. You keep talking. Uh, I can't all, remember, all but Europe. was it? I think it was Rodney Pete. It could have been. Was it Rodney Pete? Well, he'll look it up. But yeah, I, I always thought he would have a bigger career in media because he's just a very interesting guy to talk to. But he talked about it when uh, him and I think him and Rodman came to the Pistons around the same time, and he talked about how. You know, Isaiah didn't really click with him because he was a Spider was always a Spider. He was loud and boisterous, but he really took a liking to Dennis because he was so quiet and, and humble and unassuming. So I, I just thought that was a um, interesting tidbit that, again, didn't get mentioned. I'm trying to give you guys a little bit of ancillary information about what was happening because it's a documentary and there's only so much that they can touch, even though they have 10 episodes, but. Just, you know, little tidbits to maybe, you know, kind of fill out some of the gaps if, or some of the questions that you may have. That's all. Kruk but was on there. Team, man. Kruk was on John there. John Kruk, okay.
3: And, and Michael Irvin was on there, apparently. Oh, I don't remember Mike. Neither do I. Leanne Tweeden. No Leanne Tweeden, Lisa Guerrero, Carissa Thompson, Jillian Barbary. Damn. Oh. Huh. I'm sure there's yeah. other people that were on there here and there. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the best damn sports show, Platt. Well, why'd you bring it up, sir? Oh, that was me. My apologies, y'all.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was talking about the bad boys.
3: Mm. Let's talk about everybody's hatred for Bill and beer. (laughs) Like, Robert Robert Parrish punched him and didn't get a technical foul. He just got a foul because that's how much people hated Bill and beer.
2: It, wasn't, yeah, it, it was, he punched him in the face, knocked his ass out. And it was just ball out.
3: Yep. <laughs> just
0: uh, ball out.
2: Oh, <laughs> I know
3: it was off Boston, but Detroit ball for that one. You're good though. Parish, go ahead. Get it on the other side.
2: Do you know how hated you have to be to be a, a white player who can actually play and is a, was an all-star at one point in time. And you could make the argument. He was the third best player on those Pistons teams and everybody hates him till this day till this day he's still hated i mean i don't know how many of you of guys know this but he's a coach now he's i, I think he's coaching for uh the seattle team in the w nba but he won three titles with the detroit team in the w w nba in the w nba and he's been trying to get a, a a head coaching look in the nba or at least a coaching look in the nba and he can't get in and the main reason he can't get in is uh rick carlisle who is the uh coach for the Dallas Mavericks, I believe. He's the head of the Coaches Association, and he's also really good friends with Larry Bird. And they they even showed him in last week's episode. He was on that Celtics team, that 86 Celtics team, but really good friends. So that's one of the reasons why Bill Beer can't get a shot in the NBA because they still harbor that resentment towards towards him, even though he's a damn good coach by all metrics. That's how hated he is or was and still is.
3: It's funny because you bring that up and and we get to this progression now in this story, and you talk about the Celtics and the Pistons and then the Bulls. Well, let's talk about the walking off of the court, right? The Bulls get swept the year before, and Jordan sticks around and shakes hands and wishes him good luck. The very next year, the Bulls return to favor i believe they sweep them don't they
2: yeah so they lost in seven the year before i thought they got i think oh, that might have been two years Scotty.
3: before they got swept that's my bad
2: yeah and then they lost in game seven and i think that that game seven was the Scottie pippen migraine Mig- game yep Which jordan still seems a little uh pissed off about that but if anybody's ever had migraines i don't yeah i'm not going there I know people that get migraines and literally go blind because it's just that intense. So I'm not going to judge Scotty on that, but so yeah, he shakes their hand and whatnot. And then the very next year, the Pistons were on fumes and they ended up getting swept by Chicago on their way to their first championship. And obviously everybody knows they walked off the court with what about five, six seconds left didn't shake anybody's hand. They just dipped, you know, and
3: a lot of people from them, from that Bulls team, they they they're not happy about it, right? And to this day, they still use some very you know fruitful language, if you will. And it's funny because Isaiah's defense kind of is that well, the Celtics did it to us. So
2: what what, it, that, that,
3: what side what side of the coin do you fall on here?
2: This is interesting, man, and I, I like to point out people's uh, inconsistencies and revisionist history when it comes to the NBA, and this is one of those things, because now everybody complains and say that the players are too friendly, they're too chummy-chummy, why can't it go back to how it was back in the day when the teams legitimately didn't like each other? I mean, this was a legitimate feud, and how would you react? Obviously, the way that it's gone down, and Isaiah pointed this out, like if I knew we would have been talking about this 30 years from now, I obviously would have shook their hands and kept it pushing. But that's what it was back then, the level of competitiveness. And, you know, it was really fueled by the Isaiah and Jordan thing. And do you know what that was really all about, the whole Isaiah-Jordan beef? Do you do you, you know what that was about? Well, number one, they're very similar people. They're both very uh, uber-competitive cutthroat to a point type of competitors that's so you know they're very similar so that's why that's one reason that the clash but the main thing about that was isaiah was he felt a certain way about how jordan was embraced in chicago and they they beloved jordan and they embraced him as if he was one of their own whereas he actually grew up playing on those streets of chicago and he's he you know so from his vantage point it's like yo i'm from here you know what I mean? And, and you know, you, you, you put up the statue to Jordan, you embrace him like he's the man and whatnot, but I'm from here. Why are you not giving me that same love and I'm literally from this city? And that's really the the impetus of all the, the bad blood that happened between them. And, hell, Jordan had a couple drinks in them, so it seems like there's still a little bit of bad blood. They know how to play nice now, but I'm sure we'll get to the uh, to the Isaiah and Jordan thing a little bit more on next week's episode when they go over the Dream Team, but... Where do I fall about it? It doesn't piss me off. I'm biased because I was a bad boy and I was pissed at Jordan too that they swept him like that. So I was like, the hell with him. Let's walk off. The hell with him. Why we gotta shake their hands? So I'm a little biased. I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. I honestly don't see why that's such a big deal. I, I don't.
3: I thought it was shitty. I I don't <laughs> I don't I, I I could respect like the, the fact that Pistons were a really good team and they, you know, they took the rules to the limits. And that's what good teams do sometimes. That's how, that's how smart people become really good players in certain venues of sport. So you can't take that away from them, right? But just because someone else did it to you doesn't mean that it's right. The Celtics were wrong. The Pistons were wrong. Jordan got his ass kicked year after fucking year and went out there and shook their hand. Regardless of what else fucking happened there, you couldn't wait till the game was over. You couldn't, you, 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 you had to leave. You already, you knew probably more than an hour from when you walked off the court, you were fucking done that night. And you couldn't just suck it up and take it like a man. Isaiah wants to bitch about Mike being loved in Chicago and he was from there. Well, you went to Indiana. You didn't go to Loyola. You didn't go to DePaul, right? Those are viable schools back when he was going to college. And you got drafted by the Pistons. And then you beat on the Bulls. What do you fucking expect, bro? You go to go to Detroit or, or or go to Indiana, go to Bloomington and get your free meals. Otherwise, you better be in your fucking high school district down in Chicago or you ain't getting a fucking free meal. Just because someone else did it to you doesn't mean it's right is the bottom line. You okay over there? Did you? No, did you really just say go to Bloomington to get your free meal, <laughs> or or Detroit? Yeah, whatever, right? That's where an Indiana University is, right? No, no, that's why that's hilarious. That is weird, yes, but that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you didn't stick. You didn't play at DePaul or Loyola. I understand, it, like the University of Illinois is not anywhere near Chicago. I get that. Milwaukee's closer. Marquette's closer than the University of Illinois. It's closer than Champaign, right? But Loyola and DePaul were good schools, man.
2: Yeah, I didn't yeah. say Northwestern. But
3: Bobby Knight, don't, don't do that to me.
2: Bobby Knight, man, he's one of the best basketball minds ever. Like he's, how many people know basketball? Listen, as, well as Bobby Knight, he got listen that learning tree. Listen,
3: I'm not hating. On, I, I'm not hating on Isaiah Thomas for going to Indiana. I'm not even hating on Isaiah Thomas in general. I'm just saying. Don't expect Chicago to love you when you left the first chance you got.
2: So, what do you want, America? What What do y'all really want? Do you want the players to be chummy and everybody hug and kiss after the games, or do you want them to be uber competitive like it was back in the day? Because you can't have them both. But they just bitch and moan about both. Angel
3: Jordan went played fucking golf. Are you kidding me? Come on, they's always chummy. It's just a fucking it's an it's, ego thing. Yeah suck it up and slap hands you can fucking talk shit all you want until the things the till the dust settles but when it's over and you're done and you got beat you shake your fucking hand even if you just do the coach thing in the nfl you just walk out there and shake the hand and walk away you don't even look at him you just shake the hand and go that's all you need to do if you can't do that so
2: you wait a second man you played ball before you telling me that you never got pissed in the gym and after you lost you just walked out the gym that's never happened you've never done that Because I've done it. I I can be fair. And I told the guy to suck my dick on the way out, and he told me to grow one or something like that. But, yeah, I've done it. I've always shook hands. Even if it meant I was going to get in a fight out in the
3: middle of the field on the mound. (laughs) That's happened (laughs) many times.
2: But I'm out there shaking. So you've never got pissed off and just stormed off the court and just bounced from the gym. That's never happened to you, ever? Nope. You a damn lie. No, not during an organized game. No way. No, I'm not talking about organized game. I'm talking about like a rec game or, you know, we're just at the gym playing oh, not, a pickup not for
3: those. Not for those reasons. But
2: it has happened.
3: Here's I'll tell you why I've left pickup. I, I'll tell you why I've left open gym pickup basketball. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, guys didn't know how to play defense and they're undercutting people and running under people when they're landing on a jump shot. And I didn't say nothing. I just said, I just said, I got to go. And I left. And the other time, and I lit everybody up for this because there's a bunch of people I knew. And they begged me to come play so they'd have enough to play. And they just lollygagged around. And it was like, oh, I could have wind up for a walk in the park. But for what that reason? No.
2: Oh, so you're that guy. It's like, motherfucker, y'all ain't come to play. Fuck y'all. You're that guy. I would rather I would
3: rather go for, I would rather go play golf or do something else. I came here to play basketball. Let's fucking play basketball. Don't sit there and knock it back on defense.
2: Yeah, fair enough.
3: Yeah, I can relate to Michael Jordan.
2: A fair lot. enough. I, yeah, I, clearly uh, that's kind of where I was, you you saw where I was going. You just beat me to the punch. You 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 took my sword from me before I could stab you with it. Well played, sir. Well played. My, my apologies. My
3: apologies. <laughs> All right, so we're moving along this journey with the Chicago Bulls. And I don't know, what else you got with them against the Pistons before we get into the kind of the climax of of the fourth episode?
2: Well, I mean, that used to be the thing in the NBA, man. There was rites of passage. There was that team that you just, for whatever reason, could get by, and ultimately you had to overcome them to get to the next level. It happened with uh, the Pistons, with the Celtics. It happened with the Bulls and the Pistons. And then subsequently it happened with everybody with the Bulls. And the only thing is none of us were ever able to get over the hump, be it the Knicks or the Cavs or the Jazz or whomever. Before we move on to the Bulls winning
3: that first championship you're a Cleveland let's guy. Not,
2: let's, Let, not, let's, not, no. let's not. let's not let's, not, t- let's not. Let's not. You wanna not, at least I gotta tell not. the
3: story. You wanna take <laughs> your headphones off or
2: no? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go take a smoke for thirty seconds and you can tell them all. I don't wanna relive this again. Like last night was like the ghost of a Christmas past for me. All my childhood trauma, sports related. I got to relive in last night's episodes between what you're about to talk about, between the pistons fiasco No, uh, we'll, we'll
3: we'll skip it. We'll skip yeah. it. Jordan hit a big shot no, over no, no, Craig. No, no, the only thing I wanted to get to is Jordan had a big shot over Craig Elo, and he thought that Ron Harper shouldn't have get, should not have been guarding him. And lo and behold, Ron Harper ends up winning championships with Michael Jordan.
2: Ron Harper was a hell of a player at the time, man. People don't, you know, before he lost both of his knees, he was a, a legitimate NBA player, man. And, of course, he got traded from Cleveland in that uh, Danny Ferry trade, which I don't know why anybody thought Danny Ferry was going to be good. But I do have a little inside information about that trade as well, if you'd like to hear so the reason that Ron Harper got traded from Cleveland was because uh, Wayne Embry who was I think he was the general manager at the time he had some sort of relationship it was with Wayne Embry it was either with his niece or his granddaughter. it was a young lady that was related to the general manager Wayne Embry and Ron Harper showed her his Velveteen dream and subsequently he got shipped out of Cleveland because of that <sighs>
3: We're going to talk about that on Wednesday. <laughs> I don't want to,
2: but I feel like we have to. You know what I mean?
3: i going to have to cut them out of the Wednesday Night War clip intro.
2: <laughs> Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll we'll wait and see what happens, but All right. I don't want to talk about it, but we I feel like we got to.
3: Yeah, we probably will. All right, let's get to them. Chicago Bulls finally got over the hump. Now they get to the finals, and it's really – everything the NBA wants really because Jordan or not Jordan a uh, bird and magic they got everything they could out of that they had this huge popularity boost w- for Detroit and for the NBA and the Pistons and now a oh, still very good magic johnson a very good james worthy and a very good lakers team ends up in the finals against michael jordan in his first ever finals i mean you couldn't have picked it better Air versus Magic, I think, was the was the uh, screen logo.
2: I don't know if I would call them a very good Laker team. I, I think that team was kind of running on fumes at that particular point in time. But you still had Magic. You still had Worthy. Uh, Sam Perkins was still a viable uh, NBA player at the time. But, AC yeah, Green, that team, it, it was running on... AC, Vlade, yeah. Young Vlade Divac? Young Vlade, and they had Byron Scott there. He was kind of running on fumes as well. Not a bad team, just just not as good as people like to romanticize him as being at that point in time. I mean, this is 1991. What two years later, magic's not even in the league anymore. So, well, I mean, for other, that... for other reasons, but oh, okay. 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 But, but you get what I'm saying
3: for the NBA's perspective, as far as ratings and popularity and fans, you got magic versus Mike.
2: Yeah. What else could, that's true. What else could you ask for at that point in time? And one of the things that they touched touched on, which is something that I remember vividly, was when Phil Jackson made the switch and had Scottie Pippen defend Magic Johnson. That changed that whole series around. Because I mean, number one, Scottie was just a great defender. He's long, he's athletic, he's quick. And Magic was well, none of those things. Like Magic was never, you know, there's there's a, a, a can, there's a legitimate argument to be made that Magic Johnson is the the best basketball player of all time. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's an argument that could be made but he was never the greatest athlete in the world. He didn't have much of a left hand. And yeah, you put a guy like Scottie Pippen, who was young, hungry, and athletic. It gave magic fits. And they showed a lot
3: of that too. And, and, you know, the real interesting thing was, is they had Jordan on him game one and the bulls, they just, you know, it might not have, it might've worked. It's funny because if the bulls didn't have a bad game, game one, like offensively they were out of sync and it wasn't really anything the lakers did it's funny if they would have played well game one and jordan was guarding him he might have guarded him the entire time but they didn't they played bad and they made that switch and they basically ran him out the gym the next four games
2: yeah oh yeah it was a wrap and i mean pippen was taking was guarding this guy 90 feet like as soon as he took the ball out of bounds pippen was in his ass the and no whole one way up the court
3: and no one did that to magic
2: no and that's my argument with uh, Cur- Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is a phenomenal player. But had he been playing back here, back here, that's exactly what they would have done. He would have been hounded 90 feet up and down the court. And I don't know if he is who he is now, if he was playing back then, if that makes sense.
3: Uh, guys like Derek Harper would have hand-checked the shit out of him for 48 minutes. Remember when you could mm-hmm. fucking put a hand yeah. on the back? Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I used to just do it, you know, playing because I saw the pros do it. I didn't realize what they were actually doing was, you know, pushing you towards a certain way. No, nah, you ain't going that way. You ain't going that way. you ain't going that way. It's
3: like fucking. Yeah. You can't push me, motherfucker. <laughs> Step in top, stepping a chop, stepping on my foot and backing me in my knee. You get, you know, when you post <laughs> up and guys get their knee the front of their knee into the back of your knee. You ever get that?
2: Ooh, yes, that hurts. Yeah, you so know much. how you you know how you stop that? Elbow in the you face. Do a, a power dribble. Well, I was going to say in the chest, but yes, you oh. do a power dribble <laughs> and then turn, put your, lock your elbows at a 90-degree angle and then turn and hit that elbow straight in their chest. Yeah, that'll get them up off you. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Hey, man,
2: you just got to look.
3: <laughs> you just got to see where the closest ref's eyes are, and then you do whatever you want when you know they ain't looking.
0: <laughs>
3: so Two it's shares. funny. So they end up sweeping the Lakers, and...
2: No, they, they beat them in five.
3: Right, well, they they end up running the table. I should say, my bad. After that first nice. loss, and we cut to the championship celebration, and a lot of everybody said, you know, we've seen a lot of emotions out of Mike. We've seen focus, we've seen tenacity, we've seen anger. We ain't never seen that him bawling his eyes out, but it was just the fruition of his dreams, and why he, it just showed that's what he was striving to be all along was a champion.
2: We talked about, uh, iconic images from NBA's past last week. And that's another one. That shot of Jordan hugging the Larry O'Brien trophy with his dad right next to him and that hat on. And he's just wailing like that's, that's going to live on longer than we live. Like they're, they're always going to show that in NBA lore and yeah. It it was because they talked so much about how Michael was really, they didn't even know if he was human. He was just a machine. And to see him at that point in time, that was probably, he had probably been working his whole life towards that moment right there. And to see himself actualize it, I could see how that could be overwhelming. And it was a little discerning to see this machine show emotion. You know, it's like if CP30 started crying, he'd (laughs) rust. Or the Terminator started crying, you know?
3: Oh, boy. Yeah, it, it, but, it, but it's great to see, you know, and you can feel that. You can feel that raw emotion. You can feel why he feels that way and seeing how he, how hard he pushes himself and the people around him, right? And that's why he does it. Like, you know, there's so many stories of him getting into fights and practice of things of that nature. And we, talk about, we we threw the word underrate, underrated around a lot. I thought John Paxson, the job he did in his interviews, explaining a lot of things from the perspective he had, because it's funny, one of the times that Jordan started to open up and trust his teammates was when Phil was like, hey, Pax is open. He's been hitting shots. And Jordan's like, okay, I get this now. This guy's draining it. And he'd start dishing more
2: which is the same thing that y'all shit about Le- y'all shit on LeBron for today making the uh, right basketball play. And you'll say, "Oh, well he doesn't want to take the shot in the end." But your goat is doing the same thing. I I I, I, I my bad Tony, but that's part of the fun for this w- with me is pointing out people's hypocrisy when it comes to the NBA. I can't help it actually. I really can't help it. You know what I'm saying though. It's not you know hip- what I'm saying. What am I what I'm not going there. I'm not. Lungs? I'm not arguing
3: about LeBron versus Jordan and their tendencies.
2: No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going there. I, I'm just pointing out people's hypocrisy when it comes oh, to oh, sure, and how oh yeah, it is. well, that's, that's just true. not. Yeah, that's, okay. that's
3: not just sports. That's everywhere. That's life. What are you gonna
2: do? Fair enough. Fair that's enough. Why, that's why talk God shit there. on podcast. Yeah, right. Get drunk, you know, they, why... get drunk with my friend and talk shit on a podcast. That's what I'm gonna do. That's why God invented
3: <laughs> alcohol, baby. <laughs> Well, before we get to the last subject here and kind of um, preview a little bit of next week, any last thoughts here on on what we really have seen in this documentary so far, or particularly this week? I mean, what a great three and four episodes to kind of highlight two guys. You know, the the journeys that Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson had from childhood to becoming iconic Hall of Fame, integral, historical parts of just – the history of the NBA in general is unbelievably fascinating and and awesome in and of itself.
2: Yeah. I love both of those guys. I think that they're both fascinating in their own rights and I would love to sit down and have a beer with both of them. One thing that I thought was interesting though, and they kind of sort of started to allude to it and maybe it's a little bit of a foreshadowing. I, I think in the upcoming episodes, we're going to really get that Jordan heel turn, if you, if you know what I mean. They're going to really die. I think they're going to start to die further into, you know, the sociopath that was Michael Jordan. And well, they, they somewhat alluded to it, like with the they showed the, uh, the, the video of him and he was how he was berating Scott Burrell on the bus. Do you remember that? I think it was like towards maybe the end of episode four, perhaps, you know what I'm talking about? And he called him an alcoholic and all that shit. And he's like, "Come on, M. my my mom's gonna see this. Hmm? They need to know their sons an alcoholic." Or you know, whatever goofiness he said. I think we're. I, I think that was a little bit of foreshadowing, and we're gonna start to really get into the uh, the Jordan heel turn, which he, by some accounts, was nervous that he was gonna come off badly in this documentary. And we're we're basketball guys, so we've heard all the stories. We know Jordan's craziest cat shit. We know that.
3: Yeah. I mean, some people uh, do different things with power. That's
2: all I can really say. (laughs) And I'll say absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Yeah, 100. Last
3: thing, real quick, the change in the game. You know, we kind of seen it already in the first four episodes from the early 80s into the later 80s, and now we're, we're into the early 90s, and it's gotten... It's been physical the entire way, but it's gotten a little bit more spread, a little bit more interesting kind of concept as far as the, the themes of the game. You're kind of moving away from the domination of having to have a big man, etc. And you now you see Jordan being the one guy to take over, and eventually it would lead to wing players being able to dominate and win championships, and then we'd get to the the three-pointer being. Hey, if I can shoot, if I can make one out of three from here, it's just as good as one out of two from inside of there, right? So to me, that's one of been one of the most interesting storylines to watch is the evolution of the game in this
2: documentary. That's a good point, man. And I miss the physicality. I understand why it's not like that anymore. And we all know what it was. It was a, an overreaction to the malice in the palace. And they overcorrected. But I understand why they don't, but I, I do miss that. I, I do. I You know, I, I I never really thought about it, but I do miss the the physicality and the way that, because basketball is a very unique sport. It's the only sport that I've ever seen and that I've ever played that during the game, you could be damn near about to come to blows with somebody, but after the game, you're going out to dinner or going to have a beer and it's all good. Like, that that's just the weird dichotomy basketball presents as opposed to, you know, some other sports, but I do miss the physicality and just being able to beat the shit out of people and maybe not beat the shit out of people. Maybe it was a little too much back then, but I think we aired too much on the side of caution. Now you obviously can't do the things back then that you, that you were able to get away with because the players are just bigger and stronger and somebody would literally get killed, but it's a little sanitized and I understand why. And I'm not going to get into those whys. I think, you know, we all know what it is, but I I do miss the physicality.
3: I agree with you to an extent. Like you said, speed, speed kills, right? So the faster it gets, the harder it is to continue to accept things of that nature. It's funny because you can, you can still be physical and be rough and be clean, right? There's places and times to be physical. There's places and times where you just can't do certain things. Like, you know, Guys, like like I said before, a guy's up in the air or uh, and you're undercutting them or you're stepping underneath their feet when they're coming down from a jump shot. Things of that nature. Like, I've seen people legitimately get their ass beat at at fucking parks for that kind of shit. And you just don't do it. Like, you can see, like, a guy goes up and you give him a hard foul and you know you're not going to knock him on his head, you're going to knock him on his ass. Dude, that's sending a message. That's basketball, right? But... Flipping a guy over or trying to hurt a guy, that, that's just wrong.
2: But, I mean, you know, you're, you're right. It is. But at the same point in time, man, if I'm in a playoff game, I shouldn't have to worry about getting a technical foul or, or getting a flagrant foul and, and possibly risk getting thrown out of the game because I refuse to give a guy a layup in a playoff game. Because we've done the same thing in pickup games. Yo, it's game point. No easy buckets. I'm going to put you on your ass. Like, I done rock bottom some motherfuckers trying to come to the hole in this game point, and I will help, help them up. I will lift out my hand and help them up and make sure they're okay, and I will apologize, but in the back of my head, I'm like, nah, you you going to have to earn this last point, bro. Like, I, I don't think that's too much to ask. No easy buckets. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. That's just competitive instincts. There's
3: nothing wrong with competitiveness. But at a certain point, everybody's got to get up and go to work the next morning or everybody's got a family to go home to.
2: Well, nobody's trying to kill anybody or, or seriously <laughs> hurt anybody. Like
3: You're over there rock-bottoming, people. And, next thing and, I know, you're jumping up, grabbing the rim, getting up on top of there and doing the people's elbow coming down.
2: Yeah, right. Like, I could grab the rim at this point in time with my <laughs> out-of-shape self.
3: Yeah, I think, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm a few years removed from grabbing the rim myself there, buddy.
2: Yeah, man. I think when's the when's the last time you dunked a basketball? Mm.
3: Mid twenties, <laughs> early twenties, probably.
2: I think my last dunk came. I think I'm with you, man. I don't think I dunked in my thirties. I could dunk. Yeah, I don't a ten- think I've dunked in my
3: thirties. I could dunk a tennis ball when I was like thirty three. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I remember the last time I tried to dunk, it was a breakaway and I go up and I'm halfway in the air and I'm saying to myself, this probably isn't going to work out. I shouldn't try to do this, but I was already making the motions. And it turns out that I just, the ball slipped out my hand. It hit the bottom of the rim. And I'm sitting there looking like a J bro.
3: Well, the older you get, the more worried you get about getting like Sprite and then falling on the back of your head. (laughs) Like if you, that ball gets stuck on a rim and you're up there and your feet come out, you're going straight down on your back from about seven feet.
2: Yeah, that's the part that scares me. It's not the going up, it's the coming down. Not even falling on your ass, but hell, man, if you land on your feet wrong, you could, you know, tear ACL or something goofy like that. Getting old's a bitch, Tony. Yeah,
3: that's enough about us getting old here. Uh, (laughs) I've enjoyed the conversation again. Next week, folks, we're pretty certain that it's going to be a lot about Jordan – and him blowing up as a global icon commercially and things of that nature, and the Dream Team. Like we said, we held back a little bit about the Isaiah Thomas-Michael Jordan relationship because we're going to talk Dream Team, that is a really big part of it, Uh, somebody that should have definitely been on that team. So we'll hold that back for next week. CP, I've enjoyed myself again. Why don't you give us your last thoughts uh, on what we're doing and what we've seen this week, and, and we'll take this home.
2: Mr. Tunny, always a pleasure, brother. Seriously, man. Um, I really hope that they do touch on the Dream Team next week because I got a lot more to add in regards to the Isaiah Thomas, uh, Michael Jordan scenario. Um, overall, again, I thought episodes one and two were better. I enjoyed three and four for what they were, and I mean this right now. This is appointment viewing, and you know we talked about it last week. Shout out to, to ESPN for speeding up the the product not production but um showing this because it gives us something to do and you have a captive audience and and all sunday i'm excited to see what's going to happen and see what they talk about so you know i got to give them a shout out for that man and we have nothing else to watch so i'm looking forward to it i'm enjoying this series i feel like this is something that we need to continue past this i don't know what we could do it with but i'm just having fun doing this man i I really am and
3: yeah We'll find another documentary or something until live sports come back and uh, we'll we'll keep getting together and doing uh, some sports things for everybody at thechairshot.com.
2: Sounds good. Speaking of thechairshot.com, make sure you guys go to Pro Wrestling Tees, dot com forward slash the chair shot pick up an official chair shot t-shirt if you enjoy the content we provide not just us but all the great shows we've got on here we've got chair shot radio the great demarco show the latest sensation that's sweeping the nation bandwagoners they had a good episode this week make sure you check that out when it drops uh attitude of aggression pot is war obviously our baby dwy and many many more and we also hit you with the news reviews outsider's edge and we hit you with the news reviews and analysis with attitude so if you enjoy what we do and the content that we provide show us some love and make sure we can keep providing it for you because i mean it it, it costs money to do this shit we're not asking for a lot you know what i mean pbs depends on viewers like you and chair shot radio depends on <laughs> listeners like you as well so make sure you go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt please and thank you thank you and please Listeners and you can find me on Twitter at the Real C Plat as well. Listeners like you, yes. <laughs> Come on, man, you know that's gold, brother.
3: Oh, uh, I love it! I love it. That's gold, Jared. It's gold. It's uh, <laughs> gold team. Why uh, don't they call it Round Team? Um, my PC Tunny. You can find me at PC Tunny. Yeah, listen to the aforementioned at Bandwagon Nerds. Big episode this week. Actually, we have one of the sound engineers from PlayStation, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, she had. You'll, you'll listen to the episode. We had a great time with Morgan. She was phenomenal. So <clears throat> make sure you check that out. That's going to be Tuesday night right there on the com. You can also find me at P- Podcast DWI. You can find us at pod underscore is underscore war. Yeah, man, doing that thing.
2: Always a pleasure, brother. Always a pleasure. You want to go ahead and uh, get us up out of here? Sure.
3: I'll take us home. Uh, you want me to just play some music or?
2: Would you like me to rap? Oh, God. You're Never mind. You're horrible at this. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the special edition of Pod <laughs> is War, The Last Dance. For the commissioner, PC Tunney, I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. We'll see you guys back here next week. Saint Platt time, same Platt channel. Until then, shalom.
3: Yeah, for PC Tunney and Christopher Platt, hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> We'll tune in next week. Okay, (laughs) cool. And uh, here's something for you.
2: You know, Tony, goddammit, I just thought about it, man. I actually did dunk in my 30s. So just real quick story, man. I'm. This is when my brother, my older brother and I, we were both still living in Cleveland. And he I was at his you, house.
3: poured you a cup of coffee,
2: brought out a box of donuts. Shut up. So anywho, I'm outside because, you know, they, they had a hoop in the driveway because, you know, he was a former professional player. So they had a hoop in the driveway, and I'm sitting there talking to my nephew And I think he's maybe 10 or 11 at the time. And we're just outside kind of shooting around a little bit, just, you know, and spending time with my nephew. So he asked me if I could dunk. And I said, and at the time, I'm like 30, maybe 31 at the oldest. And I said, well, I used to be able to. I don't know if I could now. And, I'm, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to even try. And, you know, my nephew, God bless him, just so pure and innocent and and just a beautiful person. He says, well, you might as well try. Why not? Why give up? You know what I mean? Just very inspirational. I'm like, you know what? Because Uncle Uncle Chris could break his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm I'm not going to say that, but yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm going to show off with my nephew. So I, I take the ball and I do a power dribble and off the vert, off vertical, I go up there and I throw it down. And I'm so excited, and I'm so happy. I'm like, hey, I still got it. And then we ended up going inside, and I'm talking to my brother, and I'm telling him, yeah, man, I dunked off the bird on that rim, and blah, this blah, that. And then he proceeds to tell me the rim was only nine feet. Yeah, I had the hands
3: <laughs> up. You should have stuck with the coffee and donuts. Yeah.
2: <laughs>